0: Push the right button, there we go. Hello. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study Uh, here at Celebration Church. Welcome to our campuses over in Stevens Point, Appleton, as well as the people who watch us all over the world on the internet. Uh, Usually Pastor Bob at our local campus comes up and greets everybody and starts everything out. Passes the buckets in here. Uh, So he's not here, so come on and just pass those. (laughs) All right, you're getting the Mark Gunger version of this. The reason he's not here is I got here after getting here with my grandkids and my wife and everything, and pulling in, and I looked at it. Ah! I forgot my Bible, so all my notes and everything is <laughs> back in my kitchen. So Bob's there. So we're going to see how well Pastor Bark really knows what he's talking about in tonight's message, and hopefully Bob will show up with the uh, the scriptures <laughs> and notes that I have. We are in. Philippians, if I can find it, second chapter, I believe, is where we left off, we did, all right, Philippians, the second chapter, thank you, God, let's pray, (laughs) thank you, Lord, for your kindness, your grace, for your word that empowers us, let it be powerful in us, we pray, to bring forth your glory, in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. amen, all right, so, now, we are looking at Paul's writing. Paul is now in prison, and uh, he's waiting. they're waiting to see what they're going to do with him at this point, uh, and they're not really sure <laughs> what to do with him. He had to uh, go to the Romans to get protected because the Jews were going to kill him. So he gets himself under the protection of the Romans, and now... Uh, he was under Governor Felix for a while, under know, house arrest for whatever, two, three years, and then Gov- Governor Festus is taking over, sounds like a bunch of cats running this thing. And uh, so, but while he's sitting there in prison, under house arrest, uh, he's, he's not free to go where he wants, but he's not like in a dungeon or something like that. So, you know, thank God for that. So, but he is in a situation. Uh, he's limited, he can't do what he wants to do. They allow people to come and see him and his friends to minister to him and stuff, uh, take care of whatever needs that he has. But so anyway, in the situation where he's not sure what's going to happen next, he writes this letter to the Philippian church. this first one he's written to them, he's written to these other guys around here, but now he's writing to the Philippians from a jail, waiting to see what's going on. We'll start at chapter 2, verse 1. We went a little further than that, but we'll just back, back up a bit. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. He's appealing to them because he's in this situation. They're all concerned about him. They don't know what's going to happen to him. And he says, look, you want to cheer me up? Get along with each other, all right? You want to bless me? Be nice to each other. This is what I want you to do. Uh, Be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Tough not to do. Almost everything we do (laughs) is driven by some bad things sometimes, our egos and stuff. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Tough again, because most of us value ourselves. We are not necessarily pleased with ourselves, but we still value this. Uh, Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And we talked about that, uh, again, a major challenge. It's hard not to just want to do everything from your perspective and what benefits you. Um, Now, probably the closest thing that we do, uh, you know, for others, uh, for those of us who have families, is, you know, taking care of our children getting up in the middle of the night for them, you know, <laughs> they're puking their guts out, do all the different things that you got to do with kids and stuff. You're not doing that for yourself, you're doing it for them. Okay, so it's, at least it's beyond your own interest, but they become your interest, you know. So uh, uh, men who faithfully go to work and work very hard, driven to succeed, oftentimes, you know, it seems like it's just his ego, and it can be, but quite frankly, most men do what they do, not so much of their own interest, they want to take care of their family, and they want to make... Uh, their family secure so they work very very hard at that. It's the one thing that drives men to succeed overwhelmingly in most cultures, certainly in the United States uh, and a, a, a big survey that was done out of the University of Chicago they, they were looking at the effects of marriage and one of the things that they said about marriage is that married men make more money than single men. Same all this, you know, same race, same background, same whatever. Uh, you take same education level. Take a single guy and a married guy. And they find out that overwhelmingly the married guy performs and works harder and makes more money. What is that? That is fighting for your family and taking care of your family. Uh, in fact, the whole study was really interesting. It said uh, that married men are happier, healthier, live longer. <laughs> make more money uh, than single men. Actually, they said the most dangerous thing, statistically speaking, is for a single man, is, is for a man to remain single in America. They say it's the equivalent of smoking two and a half packs of cigarettes a day. <laughs> I suppose the guys who smoke two and a half packs of cigarettes a day that are single, they're doomed, man. All right, so, so that's what it means about, but, but. He's talking beyond even your family, to have that kind of attitude, to your faith family, to help other people, to be concerned. And the reality is, is when you give money, that's one of the strongest things you can do, because that goes against your self-interest. Because we all want to keep our money. <laughs> it's mine! I worked hard for it! You know, to, generally, to, to generously be kind with your time, your money, your resources, all these things is a way of us to start showing that we are thinking about others more than just ourselves. So Paul's appealing for them to do this. In your relationships with one another, we'll go on. That is where we picked up, uh, ended last time. But we'll pick up now verse five. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God. Something to be used to his own advantage. Well, I would (laughs) have, right? I'd be just zapping people, (laughs) flying stuff around. I'd be whatever, you know, get out of my way, you know. Uh, He did not use his powers for his own advantage. He uses powers uh, to heal people and stuff. But even Jesus said, Nothing I'm doing is of my own accord. All I'm doing is what my Father tells me to do. He never pulled his own power. To do what he wanted to do. Which is stunning. That he would have that kind of humility. Creator of the universe. Now in flesh of man. And now just being very uh, low key about it. Rather he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. This is actually kind of fascinating. This whole idea of servant. I was going back and I was looking at. uh, If you ever want to just do a Bible search uh, on the word servant and see how many times it's used in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels and how Jesus, uh, for, for example, in uh, uh, Matthew, talked about servant, 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 servant. This is, it was a, a major thing. Even in the, in the epistles, and these letters, they talked about being servants. The first epistle we read, you know, James. James, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, and they, they were considered themselves servants and stuff like that. Now, I don't think we quite get what that means, because none of us here are servants in the sense of these people when they were servants. A servant in this culture was pretty much at the bottom of the economic food chain. They were servants. Uh, They they weren't employees like we think of employees. They didn't really have much control over their own lives. Uh, And people say, well, what did servants do? They did whatever they were told to do. And, uh, and it was very, very common. Now, if you ever travel in other uh, countries, by the way, if sw- swing over to Luke, the 17th chapter. If you ever travel in other countries, the third world countries and stuff in poor areas, you will find that, uh, you'll find servants, but real servants. These are poor people, really poor people who work extraordinarily hard and, uh, and just do what they are told to do for very little money. Um, I, I mean, I've talked about this before, you know, just even, even in a country like South Africa, which isn't, it's not, not actually a third world country, it's, it's still pretty well to do, but still there's great extremes of people who have a lot of money uh, and people who have nothing. And really not even so much people have a lot of money, it's just that there's so many people with nothing. And they oftentimes work as servants and they work very, very hard. Uh, and uh, do everything for the people that they work for. Um, every once in a while, I'll talk to people from, from South Africa, and the big thing is, you know, there's so much crime over there, they think they, they wish, they wanna come to the States. They wish they could come to the States and live in the States. But I often challenge them with a little reality check. <laughs> I said, you realize if you come here, you have to do everything yourself. <laughs> now stop and think about this. You ladies, can you imagine all your life never having to make a bed never having to cook food never having to clean the house no one has to ever mow the lawn uh you know everything is that your kids are constantly watched out well you've got important things to do like go to the mall i mean there's all kinds of whatever you want to do uh and a lot of their time is planning social things i mean they still work but it's different than what we do they have no idea when you come here you don't get any of that all right You are going to clean your own toilet. Hello? All right. You got to make your own bed. You got to deal with your own children all the time. All this stuff. So, I mean, they kind of look at you a little bit, and they're they're convinced it still would be better. So, I don't know. Whatever. I I know that going, like, even in South America, places like that, the people who can afford servants, and it doesn't take much money to afford them, you can have one person who works for you day and night, virtually, full-time, for about $100 a month. You can, so oftentimes these guys you know, even some of these missionaries that are working hard for Jesus over there uh, they got pretty good <laughs> been to some of these guys. in South America man they got you know last missionary I was at in South America man they had three maids who did everything you know while they did the ministry and stuff like that but something think of how much of your life is dealt with daily stuff that slowly sucks the life out of you In countries where there are true servants, you get a servant to do that kind of stuff. And these servants are, you know, again, it's it's a very low position. The Bible constantly, the New Testament in particular, constantly speaks of us as being servants. We are to be servants of the Most High God. Now, in uh, Luke, the 17th chapter and the 7th verse, Jesus gives us a little bit of a picture here of what he's talking about when he says servant. when he says servant he literally means these kind of people and it was so ingrained in their culture a servant is a servant look look how Jesus talks about this it's a little shocking actually he says suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep which means of course they did not do the plowing or looking after the sheep the servant did it So the servant's out there all day long in the heat of the day, plowing, taking care of the sheep, doing whatever he's doing. And why would you say if you had a servant who did this, will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit down and get something to eat. Now, what's shocking about this is I think most of us would. I would, wouldn't you? And I see someone's work. you know, man, I had some guys working at my house today, you know, putting up some stuff for my wife in the kitchen. And, hey, you guys want some coffee or something, you know, and this and that, you know, just... Of course. This guys been working all day. Man, why don't you sit down and get a little bit of rest, get something to eat, and then, then you can serve. Jesus said, would you say that to them? The implication is no! You would never say that to a servant who's been working all stinking day long, who's hot, sweaty, miserable, Comes in, you don't tell him to sit down and rest. That was absurd, Jesus is saying. That's what life was with, servants. To be a servant, your life sucked big time. All right? So, he says, would you say that? Won't he rather say, hey, glad you're back, but prepare my supper. Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Uh, just reading these words, I'm mortified, you know. You think of Jesus being so warm and fuzzy, and he was. You know, it was like, whoa. But this is the culture? And he says this, will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? I would say, yes. Thanks. Man, thanks for fixing this thing. You got people working in your yard. that do a good job. What do you tell them? Thanks, man. It's great. It was awesome. Thank you. Jesus is asking this like it's an absurd concept. Would you thank that servant? The implied answer is, of course not. Ouch. Why? Because he is a servant. Servants barely account for much of anything. Even in Jesus' day, this is how they talked about servants, even under his compassion and love for people, this is what a servant was. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also... When you have done everything you were told to do, you should just say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. Now stop and think of that. When we do things, we crave and desire and long for appreciation. I do, right? But I'm an American, as much of you. I mean, I just, it's culturally, this just freaks my head out. The reality is, when the Bible talks about being a servant, you know what a servant does? A servant just does what he's told to do and never should expect anyone to say thank you to him. That's what we are supposed to think. Now, we are so far from this. You yeah, know, you have no idea. I mean, people, you don't tell people, I mean, one of the worst things to do, and I wouldn't do it. All our volunteers in the church would just go by. No, thank you for what you do. Thank you. know what you're doing. is helping to change lives. You know, I want to encourage people. But their version of a servant, man, you don't expect that. And here's the other thing. A servant does what a servant is told to do. You know how many people and people watching me online all over the world right now will know exactly what I'm talking about. In your churches, there are people that they, got, they get so arrogant. Not much of it here because we preach against it all the time. But it's very common in churches. They get so arrogant about their ministry. And this is my ministry. And God has called me to this ministry. Hey, Bob, there you go. Give him a hand. let see if I, if I see my notes. I've been doing pretty good, Bob. I even knew where to go in Luke, the 17th chapter. Uh, just from memory, that's not bad. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, churches, this is my ministry. Don't tell me what to do. And oh, man, you get that. We used to have problems like that here until we cast those devils out of those people. <clears throat> and we did that by the people leaving. They took the devils with them. So I don't know what the deal was. But uh, you, know, you can't tell me, this is not my ministry. I'm in the children's ministry. When I first got here, the people tell me, you're not my pastor. I'm not here for the church, I'm here because I work with the youth. This is my ministry. Or you're not my pastor. I, I, I'm working in the music ministry. This is my ministry. This is, you know, the... the Pastor who works with me closest. He's my pastor. I mean, just arrogant, nasty stuff. And churches get this all the time all over the world. Again, we have been set free from that spirit here. Thank you, God. But a true servant just does what he's told to do. But pastor, I really, really love doing it. Well, a servant might say, man, I really love taking care of the chickens. Well, the servant, master comes, nay, hey, go, go with the goats. They want the goats. They just did what they were told to do, and he says, and a good servant would never say anything other than, I'm a nothing. All I did was what was required of me. Oh, man, nothing. The guy's working all day, comes in without a rest, got to cook food, take care of this guy, serve him. When he's finally finished, he goes out for the rest. Now the guy can finally rest. He feels he should take no credit at this point because he didn't do anything extraordinary. Holy cow, to have that attitude, that I'm going to serve other people and I'm not going to need any... Now, again, we aren't going to do that to you. I will always thank you for what you do. God bless you, because it makes a huge difference. Bob, thank you again for going to get this at my house. You know. You know, <laughs> I'm not just going to say, he's in my floor, he just do what I told him. That sounds horrible, doesn't it? It's so horrible, but this is what they thought. This is what Jesus took on the attitude of a servant. I'm just doing what God tells me to do. Wow. And being found back in uh, Philippians, the uh, second chapter, verse eight now, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What does that mean? What did he do when he was arrested? He did what they told him to do. They pushed him around. They smacked him and stuff. Here is the king of kings, Lord of lords. He could have sneezed and squished them all like bugs. The Bible says that he could have called out and 10,000 angels would have showed up and annihilated the whole lot of those guys. How dare you smack him? He didn't say a word. Didn't say a word. But well, pastor, someone was mean to me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll try and work you through it. But <laughs> you know what the best scenario is? Don't get upset about that. I preached it some weeks ago, you know. The best thing, if you have a problem with forgiving people, the best thing is never get upset in the first place. Just don't take offense. Don't take offense. They don't have to forgive anybody. (laughs) Here's your easy path to forgiveness. Somebody disses you, just blow it off. Someone ignores you when you walk by, just blow it off. You see the pastor driving by in his car and he doesn't wave back at you, which happens all the time, because this pastor is on another planet. I don't know. (laughs) I gotta kind of tell you how many times I wind up places I don't even know how I got there. It's like, oh, what am I doing? here? are supposed to turn away. Because my mind is thinking something else nah, the whole time, right? People get mad. Man, I he didn't even wave at me. It's like some people are looking for offense. They're looking for reasons to get mad. You got a chip on their shoulder. That's what Jesus did. He didn't do that at all. People smacked him, cursed at him, mocked him him, crucified him, and he could have taken them all. Didn't say a word. That's the kind of attitude Christians Christians. Don't be looking for stuff. And again, I'm so thankful our church seems to be so free of that. There was a time when it wasn't. Every little thing somebody was getting upset about. So, man, I preached one sermon about the difference between a truth and a lie. I said, you you can take a lie uh, and and, and, and say all kinds of things, but it's it's still just a lie. It's like if you took a dog turd and you painted it pretty pictures and put a bow on it and a little hat, it's still just a dog turd. I had one whole family leave the church. You know why? You said I was a dog turd. I didn't say you were a dog turd. I was saying if you have a dog turd and make it pretty, it's still just a dog turd. Now that's how you call me. I'm talking about looking for reasons to get upset. Pretty much when someone's discussing a dog turd, I assume they're not talking about me. You know, it's just, I'm just, I take that as my, I get to position. He's He's talking about me. Wow. Anyway, we need to take the attitude of Jesus. Didn't take offense. Didn't do anything otherwise. He was asked to do. He served God. And as a lamb to the slaughter was silent. So Jesus was silent through the entire process. It's amazing. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a day coming. Every single knee, the most intense atheist, right, the most hardcore unbeliever, the most extremist religious fanatic that does all kinds of terrible things and uh Someday, every single one of them are going to bow. It's going to happen. It's not happening now, but it's going to happen. Or they will bow their knee and they will confess out of their mouths that Jesus Christ is, in fact, Lord of lords and King of kings. Powerful day coming. Therefore, my dear friends, he says, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but also much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This is a portion of scripture that kind of uh, some people stumble over because on the one hand he says you need to work out, you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you. Well, the question is, well, who's doing the working? (laughs) And the answer is both. Both. God is doing work in you but there's just the stuff you got to do. And you got to work this thing out. The fear and trembling messes with some people, because especially those who, and again, we let these coexist peacefully. Those who believe in predestination and they could become an ax murderer and they'd still go to heaven, nothing would ever happen. And others who think totally different, you know, they kick the dog and they think they're going to hell. All right, you got all these extremes. Uh, but uh, for the guys who were on this side, they don't like this verse. Why would they work it out with fear and trembling? If you could, you're going to go to heaven no matter what, you got nothing to fear or tremble, right? So some of these verses, you got to kind of wonder. I think some of the theology that we all, and the scriptures, the other ones, the theology that people set out here is really much more here than a lot of them ever want to agree and believe. So you got to work it out, but it's really not you doing it on your own. It's God working in you. But we're doing a partnership together with God. Okay. He will empower you to do the right things, the good things, the healthy things, but you still have to do things. You can't just sit back and say, well, I'm waiting for God to do it uh, because God works in partnership with us, which is different than Satan. When Satan comes into a person, he completely takes over. It's called being possessed. People who are possessed have no control. No control. They have just, they're nuts and doing all kinds of stuff. and. <sighs> I mean, it's some really creepy things. Someone who's actually possessed of the devil has no say. And if by God's grace, someone comes, some believer was able to cast out that devil, they kind of come to like they've been in a coma and don't even know hardly what happened. That's what Satan does. God does not do that. God does not come in and overtake you and turn you into some kind of a puppet that he strings around and makes you do everything he wants you to do. It doesn't work that way. And it's not supposed to be that way. That's the way Satan works. It's not how God works. All right? Verse 14, not a very popular verse. Do everything without grumbling. Frethens <laughs> <laughs> like a stupid. Why do I got to do this job? Nobody else else around here. Why do I got to do everything? <laughs> do everything without grumbling or arguing. Man, you could just, <laughs> if all Christians would just do Verse 14. <laughs> We could just call it a wrap. (laughs) All right. God bless you all. Good night. See you next week. All right. What did we learn? Right there. What are you talking about next week? The same thing. (laughs) Just do that. Do everything without grumbling and complaining so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the skies. You'll hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. He says that because he brought them to Christ. He was the one who, they became Christians under his ministry and everything he went through, which was hard. I mean, right now he's in prison, but uh, he's not really suffering. I don't know which is better, because everywhere else, he's he always getting beat up and stuff. <laughs> so he's always suffering, you know. Uh, he had a rough life, without a doubt. But uh, anyway, so he just, he's, it's great. He says when, when, when they grow and prosper, he feels validated. Much like a parent. It's like you got this kid, right? And you put your life into this kid and stuff like that. And then at some point, though they may have times of straying wildly. At some point, by God's grace, they become productive, normal men and women. Human beings (laughs) in a positive way. You see that, that's very encouraging to a parent. You know, it was worth it all. Now, to the contrary, sometimes there are those kids that go nuts and uh, and parents always feel bad about that. My only encouragement in that is you know, say, well, I did something wrong or I was a failure, maybe, I don't know. I mean, the reality is you can have six kids and three of them turn out great and three of them just complete disasters. How do you explain that? Same family, same rules, you know. At some point, you just have to allow for the fact that people have free will and they're going to, you want to do the best you can and try to avoid mistakes. But it's not all 100% on you. God has to work in them, and they have to respond to that. And at some point, they'll say no. And if you think having a kid that goes off the trails and, and gets crazy is a sign that you're a terrible parent, what does that say about God? Look at this mess. He was our dad. <laughs> Sadly, most people turn their back on him. You know, so just words of encouragement. Do the best you can. You know, like in our family. We had six kids. Three of us are in the ministry and the other three are heathens. <laughs> they are. And I don't even know if they'd mind me saying that, quite frankly. <laughs> they are not church-going folks, all right? They got some serious issues. <laughs> same family. Same rules. Three in the ministry. Changing lives. Three don't want anything to do with it. Go figure. All right where am I? 17. But even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. Does anybody know what he's talking about? You know what he's talking about? He's talking about if he dies. See, a drink, an offering is poured onto the, uh, the altar, goes up in smoke, whatever. So he says, even if I am Uh, Poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So very strong Jewish reference uh, going to the Old Testament. Um, So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And then he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. That I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone... This is a sad verse. (laughs) That is just true. So much love. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, that's kind of harsh because he's surrounded by some very, very fine, hard, dedicated men and women. And at some level, people struggle with this, you know. But you got to wonder, that called to be a servant. Maybe they weren't (laughs) the servants they were supposed to be based on the way he's talking. It's just sad. But Timothy's a good guy. He said, you note that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Did he go? No. Did he ever get out of prison? No. Was he ever free again? No, they drag his holy little butt all the way back to Rome and kill him. So wait a minute, he says, I'm confident in the Lord. You know, so look, these guys live by faith just like you and I. Sometimes we read these scriptures, we think, you know, these guys knew everything ahead of them. They did not always know everything. Sometimes they'd say the Lord would appear to them and tell them things. Okay, they gave him a heads up. But most of the time, they're just like us. Seriously, just trusting God. His faith, his prayer, his confidence. I just know God's going to answer this. I'm going to see you soon. Ah. Like family food. Ah. You know, like, not going to happen. Anyway, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epiphroditus. Here's a name for your kid if you're looking at. Have a little baby. How about Epiphroditus? We can call him Epi for short. I'm going to send Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. So Epaphroditus uh, is from Philippi. They sent him all the way from Philippi. This is, you know, it's like they had trains and boats or, you know, uh, airplanes. I mean, it is is a long physical way. Sent this guy to Paul to help him. And they undoubtedly brought money to take care of some of his needs because he's in this palace guard, and I'm sure they had to grease palms everywhere, right? Paying people off just to get him some extra food or this, that, and the other. So, uh, so this guy came down. He says, "Now I'm going to send him back to you." All right, he's a great guy. Thanks for sending him. Uh, he really longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. So he says, "Yeah, I want to go back." They they heard about me being really sick, and indeed he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not only on him also, only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Wow. Now, here's what's powerful about that. This is Paul. These apostles, these early Christians saw miracles on a regular basis. It was commonplace. In fact, Paul would often talk about when he would preach the gospel, he would preach the gospel and God would show up and do miracles among these heathens. It's one of the reasons that Christianity spread so fast. It wasn't like they had to come and just run them through Bible classes to become Christians or try and convince them with some cool argument, you know. And, you know, we do our best trying to convince people, right? Man, they would come up and you say, Well, oh, I don't believe in Jesus and, and, and your wife's sicker than a dog and I just pray for her. She did not even believe in Jesus. I pray for her and I of like, boom, she's not sick anymore. Well, that's impressive, right? All of a sudden, he believes. This is done over and over again. Someone you got a sick child? Ah, uh, oh, this Jesus stuff is crazy. What's wrong with your kid? Oh, he's been sick for years, and oh, we're really good. well. Let me pray for him. Boom! God heals the kid. Well, I think I'll become a Christian now. You know what I'm saying? It was very, very powerful. They would see stuff. God showed up in miraculous ways, and they responded to these miracles and what God was doing. So, oftentimes, we get the sense. That that was always the case all the time. That these people had such great faith that all they had to do was boom and God would show up. And the reason we don't have miracles today is we just don't have as much faith and we stink. And just, ah. Well, not necessarily. Here is Paul the apostle. This guy who's working with Paul gets sick. Sick, 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 sick. You don't think God, uh, they, they prayed? Of course they prayed. He stayed sick. And got worse. And they prayed some more. And he got worse. He got to the point of death. And Paul's just crying out to God. And he says here that God was merciful. And spared me because I would have been so sad. And. He recovered from his sickness. Now there's no sign here that it was a dramatic miraculous recovery. Just He just recovered. You know So. Just realize sometimes that even when we deal with the stuff that we deal with today, just like Paul talked about, you know, I'll be with you soon. I'm confident in the Lord. They're living by faith. They live by faith just like we do. Sometimes they prayed and things didn't happen the way they thought it would happen. Okay? Now, without question, when when some things did happen, it was pretty powerful. You know, we read the last time Paul's preaching forever and this kid falls asleep and (laughs) up in the rafters in a window and he plunges to his death and paul goes over raises him from the dead and keeps preaching i think people dying you need to stop but he kept going till the morning but how many people just raised people from the dead oh he's dead oh get out of the way boom all right stand up go in there where was i wow but then his best friend is sick and he's gonna die where are you, God? Where are you? I'm just telling you, sometimes God shows up, bam! And sometimes it's like, hello, hello, hello. Why is that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We serve God, whether we live or That's what Paul said. Live or die, I serve God. We need to serve God. If we're being blessed, and I believe if you do this right, you will be overwhelmingly blessed. We serve, but we don't serve God because of those blessings. Sometimes you'll be tested. It's just called the testing of your faith. There's, there's going to be times where flat out everything goes against you. And you want to understand it. But the question is, are you going to still serve God? And you have to go through those times. And probably, yeah, I'm going to stay with the Lord no matter what happens. And then God shows up, pulls you out of the mess, and other times answers prayers quickly. Other times it seems like it doesn't happen very fast at all. Or it seems like it's not going to happen at all. You know? We read about Peter earlier in the book of Acts where this nice lady who took care of all the saints and stuff like that got sick and died sick and died these guys are seeing miracles everywhere how does someone get sick and there? everybody you know well peter prays for and raises her from the dead but i mean it's, it's not like it, everything was always perfect for them and in fact the closer you look at paul's life when you start to hear his detailed description of how much he suffered and wild animals and being accosted by people and arrested and beaten and so wow so you know yes they saw great things and yes we will see great things but whether we suffer, whether we struggle, whether prayers are delayed, or whether they happen right away, we just stand in faith, and we serve a wonderful God. So anyway, just something to throw out there. Uh, so, and, so then he says, welcome him in the Lord, because he's sending him back. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So the guy comes, he works hard, gets sick, almost dies, but... And he sends them back. Now, this next <laughs> portion of scripture. If, uh, if I ask you to turn off the speakers out there, are you able to do it from there? You have to do it right away, but if I do what I think I'm gonna do, <laughs> I, w- I want you to shout the speakers out there and see how much I behave myself. All right, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And it's no trouble for me to to do the same things again because this is something I heard him say all the time. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Ben, things are hard for you. Rejoice. This was their go-to attitude even though sometimes in the natural their lives stunk. And prayers didn't come as fast as they wanted. Always rejoice. Be glad in Jesus. And it's okay for me to repeat these things and it's a safeguard for you. Sometimes you've got to repeat things. People say, Pastor, sometimes you repeat things. Yes, sometimes. For a lot of different reasons. There's always new people coming into church, and, uh, and they need to hear some of the foundational truths that you've heard 100 times already. That's where some of these Christians get a little selfish. They say, well, I want to hear something more advanced. Oh, I need to be fed. Really? Feed yourself. All right? They got these things called books. <laughs> Open one. Read it. There's all kinds of very deep stuff that you can give yourselves and sit with friends and discuss theology that is deep and insightful and, oh, you know, it's great. Uh, I am not drawn to those kinds of things. I have friends like that, pastoral friends. They sit and they ask and think all these really deep theological questions. And and they'll sit there and I'm sitting with them and they finally look at me and say, What do you think? I said, I don't know, you guys give me a headache. I'm just trying to get people to quit killing each other. You know, I just want to go back to verse 14. Do everything without grumbling. <laughs> I don't care about your theology. What if God was able to pick up a a rock that was so big he couldn't lift it or whatever. I all kinds of stuff. I don't, know, just, I don't care. Some people like that. You know, do you understand what the inner sanctum tabernacle was in the Old Testament what it represents for us today in the New Testament no I don't I don't want to. you know it's a weakness of mine I'm just trying to do everything without grumbling let's do basics when I get this basic stuff down there, I'll move on to all that 62 I'm still here man I'm telling you just basic that's my thing basic Christianity let's do that let's do that well it's OK, if you want to really get into wild, deep theologicals and some people, "Oh, bestss why don't you do the end times and get all this wild, crazy stuff about the end times?" Again, it just gives me a headache. I don't know, And you have to understand, they're pretty much just guessing what those verses mean. They could be right. They could be wrong. And I don't know what the point is. So if you just decide exactly what nation is going to rise against whatever nation in the end, what difference does it make? I'm still trying to do things without grumbling. All right. That's just me. But you can get all that great information on your own. All right. Where are we doing? Okay. Now, his word of encouragement watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. You know what he's talking about? Circumcision, thank you very much. Mutilators of the flesh. This was still a problem. This was a problem for a long time in early Christianity. By this time, it's not as crazy as it was in the beginning, but it's still pretty intense. There were Christians who were absolutely convinced. They were Jewish Christians that Jesus, was, they had no problem with the, remember, the riots exploded, not when Paul was preaching to the Jews about Jesus being the Messiah. Nobody said, Jack. It wasn't until he said, we're taking the gospel to the Gentiles, that's when they rioted and wanted to kill him. People say, oh, the Jews just couldn't accept Jesus as Messiah. That's not true. They didn't have a problem with that. They couldn't couldn't handle the fact that you and I could get to know God without doing all their rules. That's what they couldn't handle. Unless you go through their rituals and you had to be circumcised and all that stuff. And and, uh, Paul points out, he says, look, it's we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. So he's saying, Look, these guys say they're the true ones because they've been circumcised, do all these things. He says, The true circumcision is the circumcision of the heart, which he talked about in Romans. We are walking by faith. We know God and connect with God. He says, We are the true circumcision. He says, And these guys, he said, We don't put confidence in all this man made stuff. He says, I could. I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, according to the law of Moses. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I was out there being the guy who was persecuting the Christians. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Holy cow, he was a pretty disciplined guy to take all these Old Testament rules and say, I followed them all and I didn't break any of them. Wow, you think that's a really holy guy? Right. He's a Jew, Jew, man. He's, he's done by, Pharisee, well-educated. He was at the top of his profession of the day. Persecuting Christians, he becomes a radical follower of Jesus Christ. And he says this, but whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss. He had everything. Imagine the best profession of the day. This is one of the top professions being a religious leader in Israel and who also was a Roman citizen. We, knew, we know that already, right? I mean, he, he really had it. Most of these Israelites were not Romans. He was highly educated, spoke numerous languages. A brilliant man. He is doing great. He had to give it all up when he became a Christian. Whatever gains were me to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpass, surpass, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. All right, I'll turn off the sound. He didn't say garbage. He didn't say garbage. Uh, Some translations have refuse. He didn't say refuse. Some English uh, translations call it dung. We're getting closer. (laughs) He literally used the crudest common form of word of that day To describe his excrement. I'm going to spell it for you. It's S-H-I-T. He literally said, I count all of it shit. (laughs) (laughs) Don't write me if you're watching on television. If you doubt me, sit down with a computer and just google did the apostle Paul ever say <laughs> and watch all the theologians that pop up and they all agree it's exactly the word he used. Every time these translators because of you know these oh, sensitivities and stuff like that and we can no. so they got to come up with other words. But he literally used a very crude word. That was shocking and it was intended to be so. For him to say, the apostle, look, I consider all this I've accomplished in life mere refuse. Is not nearly as powerful as <laughs> saying, so to me, it's all a big pile of you-know-what. And it's the word he used. It's quite, in the Greek, it's called skubala. Skubala. I don't know how you say it. I don't speak Greek. But that was the word <laughs> he used. It's just a big pile of poo but he didn't say poo, I'm telling you. In fact, when you read some of these theologians, some of them struggle with it. and say, well, it it probably, yeah, that's what he said, but it's different than we would say in English because in English, it's, it's so crude. Here's the reality of it. And I do this just for your own personal edification and education. Now I'm going to give you some intellectual thoughts for those of you who want to be fed. All right. For the first sixteen to seventeen hundred years of Christianity, I, I, I just recently read a study that was done on this, and where they said, "Where do these words come from?" It said no one had a problem with words like that. You could use any word about a bodily fluid or any physical part of your body, even the most private parts, and no one ever thought they were inappropriate or. In fact, I have quotes here from early Christian teachers and leaders in the early church going back a long time. They used phrases. I was gonna, I can't even read them. I can't do it. Some of you are still reeling over the four-letter word I just used and it'll take six years for you to get over it. You know, it's just... (laughs) These, they regularly said these phrases. It was common. If you want, to come up to me afterwards. <laughs> I'll show it to you. You have no idea. Oh, my goodness. What of these? <laughs> Lita's pastor. Uh, I'm looking for the one that's maybe not too terribly bad. And and now my mind can't see it because I'm going too fast here. But uh, (laughs) Martin Luther was one of the worst ones. They literally accused Martin Luther of having a potty mouth. Because he could turn a filthy phrase with the best of them. (laughs) But not just him. Other theologians, other people, they commonly used, (laughs) come on, where is it, man? Oh. (laughs) You know how we would say, someday we will leave this earth and go to be with Jesus. Here's a phrase that used in the 1500s. The world is a great wide a-hole Eventually, we will part from it. (laughs) Absolute fact. They talk like this all the time. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Very crude. Anyway, so here's the thing. Nobody ever thought anything like that. Today, they well, brother, the Bible says no corrupt communications proceed out of your mouth. Yeah, I get that. But who came up with what's corrupt and who isn't? Because for the first 1,500, 1,600, 1,700 years of Christianity, these kind of words were used commonly all the time, and no one even blinked an eye. And again, again, if you doubt it, email me, and I'll send you the links, and you can look it up. You can just Google it for yourself. This was very, very common. Now, then they came to, because all they considered cursing was things that blasphemed the holy. Are you following me? God's name. Holy things of the church. Stuff that we believe, when you use God's name, that is cursing. You talking about your poo meant nothing. Nobody cared. In fact, they said it was very common. Public defecation was very common in the day. They were just... Oh, just a minute, they pull over a second. right there. <laughs> Which is freaky, okay? They, it just, it didn't matter. It was never considered crude. It was never considered cursing. It was any of that stuff. Then we started getting to the Elizabethan period and stuff like that, where the educated people of the day became very uncomfortable with bodily functions. And those words were all banned. And you couldn't say any of those words. That holds even to this day that you can't even say some of these words because to them it's cursing and stuff like I'm telling you, it's only cursing. Now, is it crude in our common language today? Yeah, it would be crude. I get it. And you shouldn't run around like that and your kids shouldn't say these words. But, I'm just saying, only be, but it's not because of God. It's not because of righteousness or holiness. It's just that mankind came up with these words. In fact, what they did is they got so uncomfortable with the common words that they started using Latin words to describe body parts, right? Because if I spoke Latin, then it's... For example, a woman's, the word vagina is a Latin word. So they stopped the common word of the day, which I will not tell you what that is, because it's (laughs) we still know what that word is, and it's really bad in our present culture. It's over the top. But that was common. That's what you called it. Everybody called it that. Well, they came out mortified. We call it the vagina. All right. Ironically, so this is what this whole study was. Ironically, vagina was the filthiest Latin word you could come up with. (laughs) Filthy, because a vagina in Latin was the sheath that you put your sword in. (laughs) Look it up, I'm telling you. It's just... So at one time, all men had a vagina, all right? <laughs> and to refer to that as something you stuck a sword in was crude. If you study Latin, and this study i read is in so many Latin words, and it took me hours to get through it and stuff, explain all these things. It was the filthiest thing you could use. But today, it's, well, it's the proper word. Why? Just because people made it that way. You know, and how is that word improper in the presence of God? I'm, I'm just saying, a lot of these things that people come up with, is just people's stuff. All right? They didn't care about common stuff. They cared about the holy. Then, both became bad. And what they, in essence, did, if the, the Christians of the early thousand years of Christianity came today and saw how we, the way we react to words like S-H-I-T, They'd be stunned because what we've done from their perspective is we lifted up that to the standard of holy. That which cannot be discussed. They would think we've all lost our ever-loving minds. So, but then then the holy you couldn't touch and then you couldn't talk about any body parts and the Elizabethan period everybody was super modest. In fact, they even had like legs of pianos and stuff like that. They would cover them with cloths because we didn't want to see naked legs. Read your history. I mean, that's how intense they got. Everything was bad. And now you have today, which, oddly enough, people don't have a problem insulting the holy. And now it's the body parts that are crude. Right? People can say, God this and Jesus that. Nobody cares. So, I mean, all this thing with words, it's all just crazy. Anyway. Just to point out the word that he used. And he did it. And if you read these theologians, they believe he did it intentionally as a bit of a shock to them. To show them the difference. There was nothing more crude than the word he used against everything holy that he had done. I count all of his holiness and all you guys wish you could have had and the education I could have had and being holy and obeying everything in the Bible and everything. It's all a big pile of bleh. And they went, And that's exactly right. Anyway, these words, try not to be overly nuts about some of these. Again, there's culture. Your children need to behave themselves. There's proper words for young people to use. I get it. But don't I just get upset. I don't like it when I hear people make it synonymous with what is holy before the Lord. No, it's just inappropriate as far as you're concerned and because of culture and stuff like that. So, You know, again, it's our culture. You shouldn't go around all potty-mouthed and talking nasty and stuff, okay? It certainly doesn't minister grace to the hearer that we're supposed to do. But it's not, a lot of these things that people say, you know, Christians can't say or do, these words, I could go through the Old Testament and pull out some of the words that they use. When you, if they would translate these things in the original words, they are extraordinarily crude. Very, very crude. They retranslate it today to try and bring it up to whatever our current standard is, you know. It's like that book that I just wrote, you know, Don't Be an Ass. Originally, in the English language, ass was what you called a donkey. There was no other word for it. It's an ass. King James Bible still has it. Ass, 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 everywhere. (laughs) Then, at some point, it became a curse word. Now, in today's culture, it actually is pulling back, and it's more a word you refer to a very stubborn person. That's why I use it. <laughs> That's what I'm talking. Some of these words actually change over time. Words that, you, you know. And even in some cultures, you know, like in English culture or British culture, they use words that to us are totally, they don't mean anything to us. Right? Like, you know, you stupid bugger. Doesn't mean Jack to an American. We just go, oh. In fact, we call our kids, come here, you little bugger. <laughs> right? It literally means something to do with homosexuality. You say it in England or something like that, that's very crude. In America, we call our kids buggers. <laughs> well, is God looking at a different one? No, it doesn't mean Jack to God. It's just these things are established by men. So all I'm trying to say is. Cut people slack when you hear them talk ways that you don't think are appropriately approved by focus on the family, okay? <laughs> and don't be arrogant and proud. And this, again, what we need to be concerned about, I would argue, is what the first 15, 1,700 years of Christianity argued about is honoring that which is holy and respecting the name of God in God's things and not making fun of things that are, you know, sacraments and holy things in the church. That's really the kind of things. The rest of it's all cultural. As you can tell, the culture changes from time to time. All right. You probably won't hear me talk about this again for a really long time. (laughs) You can say you were there when he said it. All right? All right. Y'all okay? Y'all still love me? (laughs) Can't wait to see the comments online. All right. Does this make sense to you? Let's focus on things that matter. Don't overreact when you hear people talking certain words that is, it, you know, it's, it's, it's unbiblical. That's just, it's cultural stuff. And some of these words at one time didn't mean anything. Now they do, okay. But it is what it is. Be nice to people. Don't jump down people's throats when they talk. If someone's cursing God a lot, you might want to challenge them on that. <laughs> I do, that's when I speak up. You know. But beyond that, All right, let's pray. (laughs) Thank you, O Lord, for your mercy (laughs) and your covering grace. Oh God, help us to grow. Help us to have the kind of attitude Paul's talking about here where all this stuff that so many people think is so important to be valued doesn't mean a pile of anything. And help us to have the kind of attitude where we're more humble in our hearts, in our minds, in the way we deal with people and not to think more highly of ourselves than we should. Help us to have the attitude of a servant. Help us to do things without grumbling and complaining and, uh, and to walk in kindness. That's quite a challenge for us, O oh Lord, but help us to grow in love. Help us. Our theology might not be the most perfect theology, but Lord, if we're going to specialize in anything, if there's a PhD we should have, it's in love. Help us to walk in love because this is what is the most important. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. You may be dismissed.